Welcome. Hey, before we get into the scripture and the lesson this morning, let, let's pray for just a second. Uh, Lord, all of us bring um, issues, thoughts, concerns, worries, sins, prayers with us this morning. And, and Lord, as we prepare to jump into your word and, and hear the things that you might want to say to each of us this morning, help us to give you those things now. Help us to confess those sins. Help us to set those worries and anxieties aside or the things that are coming later today. I pray that you'd help our hearts and ears be open to what you want to say to us this morning. No more and no less. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start this morning uh, sharing a poem with you, one of my favorite poems from the past. If you've been around for a while, you've probably heard this before, so bear with me. And It's a great introduction to the lesson this morning. This is uh, called The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. And as you uh, hear this read, it's short. You don't have to kick back. It won't, won't take long. But as you hear this, uh, picture yourself, say, on a country road, and there's two paths in front of you, and you're trying to make up your mind. That's the scene Frost paints. These are his words. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had worn them really about the same. Both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And isn't that the truth? Uh, Frost's poem is in some ways, it's a brief and cautionary tale, Russ, about the decisions we make. And the fact that the choices we make in life end up making us. So when we're facing choices, it's fairly important to know where the road we're on is going to take us. And when we choose to go to the right or the left, it's no small thing. Because Frost is right that way leads to way, and one step leads to another. And these initial important choices, they end up having profound impacts on our life. And we're in a text this morning in Genesis 13 about a choice being made. And... It seems innocuous. And like the passage we were in last week, it just tells a story and it sort of leaves it there. But if you read between the lines and look at the clues God has put in there, you see this was a very, very bad choice. This was a road to have been avoided. It's a road that eventually leads to disaster. We're in Genesis 13, verses 1 through 13 this morning. I'll read there. If you remember last week, Abram and his crew were down in Egypt, a place they didn't belong. And now he's been reproved, and he's headed back, and that's where we pick him up this morning. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, that would be the south of the land of promise or the, the land of Canaan, he and his wife, and all that belonged to him, and Lot with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. 
And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So he's gone out of the place he didn't belong, Egypt. He's gone back up to the middle of the land of promise, back to that place of first love and worship and proclamation. Verse 5, Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right, or if to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the garden of the Lord, we would say the garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. This means that the audience originally reading this, the land doesn't look the same. So we're being told, no, back then it looked like the Garden of Eden. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. So, Abram and company moved back into the land. Now you remember Pharaoh's given them a lot of stuff to get rid of him when he boots him out. Now they've got so much stuff that it says they can't live together. So many animals, so many herds. It says in verse 7 that the Canaanite and the Perizzite were living in the land. Now apart from, we've mentioned this earlier, apart from tension, these people will be opposition to Abram in the future or his descendants. This probably also is meant to tell us the best places in the land were primarily already taken. The places with the most steady supplies of water, with the best grazing, were already taken. So with these large herds and sparser grounds, it takes a lot more space to accommodate them. Too much for them to live together. So what are we going to do? Real briefly this morning, I want to look at Abram's response. We won't hang our hat there, though. We'll go on to Lot. But briefly, verse 8 and 9, look at Abram's response. There's trouble, there's strife, what do we do? Abram says, hey, let there be no strife between you and me. The whole land's before you, let's separate. You choose one way and I'll go the other. So briefly this morning, Abram's response is gracious and it's unselfish. He wants peace and he doesn't care if he gets the best place or not. He just wants peace, that's his motivation and his goal. Whatever he wants, okay with me, you choose one way, I'll go the other. If you remember in chapter 12, when Abram was in Egypt, we said he's not walking by faith. He's walking by fear. And all these lousy decisions, all this fallout occurs because he's walking by fear. Here, he's walking by faith again. He's not taking things into his own hands. He's not trying to get it all himself. He's trusting God and God's promise. And that makes all the difference for him. He's able to live at peace. Next time, we'll look more fully at Abram's response. But this morning, just to say, generous, unselfish, trusting in God for the results. <clears throat> the place I want to hang our hat this morning is on Lot's choice. Abram's back in the land of the living, so to speak, because he's trusting God and he's walking by faith. That's not true of Lot. In contrast to Abram, Lot is walking by sight. 
isn't he? He's, he's walking by what he can see and hear and put his hands on. And this proves to be fatal for both he and his family. I'll grant you as we go through this passage, the lessons here, they're sort of nuanced and they're subtle. You may disagree with where I land on this. And, and if you do, that's fine. You can tell me the better lessons later. But we'll, we'll sift out of this what I think we can get this morning. Look at Lot's response in contrast to Abram's. Verse 10 and 11, it says, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the valley of the Jordan. It's well watered everywhere. It's a good grazing area. It's like the Garden of Eden. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and he journeyed eastward. Now listen to the clues that are in this response in verse 10. First is this. We're told this is before Yahweh destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, and then verse 12 tells us that Lot is going to go live at Sodom. This is not a good thing. We know on the front end, Lot's going to Sodom, Sodom's going to be destroyed. This is not a good thing. This verse also mentions the little town of Zoar. And that's because if we know Lot's story, we know that Zoar is the little town that he's forced to flee to for safety when the angels come to destroy the cities of the plain, Sodom included. Zoar is a way of saying there's trouble in the future as well. And also, we mentioned this before about if you were connected to Abraham or his descendants, to be in the place of blessing was to be in the land of Israel, the land of promise, Canaan. When this says he journeys to the east, we know we've got trouble again. John Salehammer, which is one of the commentaries I use every week as I keep myself true to the text here and, and follow up with other resources. Salehammer says this, Lot moves to a city in the east, which we know will be destroyed, just like the people in Genesis 11 who traveled to the east to build a city that would later be destroyed by God. Do you remember they traveled to land the plains of Shinar? They build the city of Babel. God comes down and destroys them and their work. And then last, in Abram's story, God chooses... And Abram follows. That's the dynamic in Abram's life. God chooses for Abram, and then Abram goes out and does what God says. In this one, it says, Lot looks up and chose for himself. Lot chooses for himself. This is a totally different dynamic than that at work in Abram's life. Abram hears God. He responds. He goes. Lot chooses for himself, and therein lies the trouble. This road less traveled for Lot is going to be disastrous for both he and his family. Now, I suspect if you talk to Lot at the end of his life, he'd look back to this day and this choice, and he'd say, all my troubles started then. This day, this text, this passage, this choice, this single choice, standing in a road, choosing left or right, which way he's going to go, taking, as it were, the road, less, the road less traveled. All of his troubles start here with this choice. Now, having said that, it's not as if Lot was intentionally choosing to sabotage his life. It's not as if he thought he was making an evil decision in the choice he made here in this text. Do you know what I mean? I think he would have, he would have said at the time, I thought it was a great choice. And I can picture he and Abram, they're near Bethel, Bethel and I, and the Jordan would be down to the east. And I suspect they're having that conversation on a hill. And Abram's talking and say, hey, you know, we're going to have to separate. Which way do you want to go? 
And Lot looks down and he sees that green strip, which is the Jordan River Valley. And he knows there's always water there. And there's great grazing. And I think at the time he looked and he said, well, this is an easy choice. My uncle Abram says, make a choice. Where do I want to go? Well, I'll choose that. It's the best looking place around. That's what I'll do. I don't think at the time he thought this was an immoral decision. I don't think he thought it was an evil or deficient choice he was making. I don't think he was looking down the road and saying, this road's going to lead me to disaster at all. But it did. So what's wrong with the choice? Think of some other considerations as you think about the dynamics around Lot's choice. One is this. Lot is in this land of promise for one reason and one reason only. It's his connection with his uncle Abram. Abram's here because God said, go to the place I'll show you. I'm going to give you this land. Lot is here at all because he's attached to his uncle Abram. Lot's presence in the land of promise is not due to himself, but to God's call on Abram. So if he's there by Abram's relationship, wouldn't it have been better for Lot to have given his uncle Abram the choice of where to go? Wouldn't that have made more sense? Abram is the reason he's here in the land. God has promised the land to Abram and his children, not to Lot. So even though Abram's being very gracious and very unselfish because he wants peace, wouldn't it have been better on Lot's part if he said, hey, Uncle Abe, thanks, that's very generous of you, but, but I'm here as your guest. You choose where you want to go, and I'll go someplace else. I think part of the, the problem here is that Lot was not showing appropriate consideration for Abram, and in fact for Abram's God. The blessing of God was on Abram and his children. And Lot gets the benefit of that as long as he's with Uncle Abram. But God's promise was not to Lot. And so if Lot was just showing what I think would have been appropriate respect for Abram and consideration for the fact that God had chosen to bless and call Abram, not Lot, Lot wouldn't have looked up and made the choice himself to take the best of the land of promise that he knew God had promised to Uncle Abram, not to him. It was presumptuous, if you will. It was self-serving. It was motivation that was below the level God wanted for Lot, and it turns out disastrously for him. There's a similar story, a little similar in dynamics in the Old Testament when you go to the story of David. And if you remember when David, the young shepherd boy, is anointed king by Samuel, there's already a king on the throne. And it's Saul. And Saul continues to reign on the throne of Israel for years. And Saul hates David. And he hates it so much that he tries to have him murdered and killed repeatedly. And time after time after time, if you read David's story, you'll see that David could do harm to Saul. In fact, one of his servants says, God has put Saul in your hand. Kill him. Take his life now. And David refuses to. And this is the reason he states. He says, Saul is God's anointed. That Saul is God's choice for king. Saul is God's man, even if he's wicked and doing evil and trying to kill me. And he says, I will not raise my hand against the one God has chosen. There's this esteem and respect for Saul, wicked as he had become, because David said, he's the guy God chose. David gets it. Well, Lot should have had some of that concern for Uncle Abram. I'm not God's chosen. Abram is. 
This isn't my land of promise. This is Abram's land of promise. I'm here, as it were, as his guest. I think and I suspect part of what was going on was this. Uh, Lot was the junior partner to Uncle Abram. And yet when they come out of Egypt, Lot now has increased his wealth too. And I suspect the status and the wealth had gone to his head a little bit. You know, if you suffer in life as a junior partner and you feel like you're always in someone else's shadow, it can be discouraging at times. And so Lot comes out, and Lot's a major player now in his own right. He's got lots of animals and lots of wealth and lots of servants too. He's got lots of stuff. And with the stuff, he's got status. And he wants to hold on to the status and the stuff. And so he's making decisions that are consistent with that. I value the wealth I brought out of Egypt, and I want to keep it. I want to preserve it. And maybe I want to make it grow. And I want to wear this hat of importance well. I like this. This is good. I'm going to make the most of it. The decision, though, to protect the status and the stuff is actually what means in the end, as he goes and travels down this road, he's going to lose all the status and he's going to lose all the stuff anyway in making decisions to try and protect it. When you are making decisions and choices and when you're looking down those roads that God no doubt is going to bring your way in this life, you've got to be very careful about what you're setting your heart on and what the motivations are that engage your thoughts, your mind, your sight, what you're thinking of that determines the path you take. If you're a Christian, you've got a call that's higher than this earth and higher than the stuff God gives you to use while you're here. And as Christians, as Christ's stewards and servants on the earth, we are called to be his representatives. And so we've got a motivation that goes beyond or above our status or what we can get. God gives us all kinds of good things. And he says, enjoy them. He's a God who loves to give good gifts. He's not, he's not mean-spirited. He's not holding things back from us. He's good. And he gives us things to enjoy. But the stuff is not what's important at the end of the day. And we can't afford to make choices for life based on our status or the stuff we may or may not get. We should have a higher motivation. Our eyesight should be looking higher than that. We're called to put God and his things above our own interests. Matthew 6.33 is a verse in the Bible you can build your life on. This is towards the end in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is saying, you know, you worry about the clothes you wear, the food you eat, etc., etc. And he says this at the end of the day. If you seek God and his things first, he'll take care of all the stuff. He'll take care of the status issues. He'll take care of the stuff issues. You put God and you put God's things first... And he'll take care of the rest. But the opposite of that tends to be true too. If you put your status and your things and your stuff at the front of your motivation, if those become the things that guide your decision making and the choices you make and the roads you travel, I think you'll find you're on the same road as Lot. You're, You're on the road to lose your soul and all the things that really matter anyway. Abram, in this story, was putting God and his things first. Lot was not. And merely self-centered, carnal choices almost always lead down the road of ruin and regret. Think about Lot. Uh, This doesn't tell us a lot about the rest of his story. The scriptures don't. But think about this. This road he chooses, it's sort of this, it's like a hill that he's sliding down on. It's not just a road, but it's a steep one. So geographically, he slides down from the 
the heights of Bethel down to the Jordan Valley. And then he slides down the Jordan Valley along the Dead Sea down to where those cities are at the southeast corner. And then he slides from being a nomad in the wilderness to living inside the gates of the most wicked city in the place. It's this downward, downward, downward road he's on. One step after another, after another. The story does not tell us, but when Lot leaves Abram, he's a wealthy man, isn't he? But you know what? His wealth is never mentioned again. He has no wealth in the stories when we pick up later. It may be that in chapter 14 of Genesis, when the five kings from the east come in, it says they take Lot and his family. And these cities, they take, they plunder them. They take the people, they take the stuff, and they head out. And Abram, of course, this is getting ahead of our story this morning, but Abram rallies his troops, he goes up, he defeats those kings, he rescues Lot and his family. But you never hear about Lot having wealth again. This is the last time he has the stuff. This road he chooses to protect his self-interest and maybe to get or expand his herds, at the end of the day, he has no herds. He has no wealth. He has no gold and no silver. It's all gone. It's all gone in this road he travels. Lot not only loses his wealth, he loses his wife as well. We talked last week about the fact that when Abram went to Egypt, he was willing to abuse his wife, basically by sacrificing her for his self-interest. Lot sort of does the same thing here because when he takes up residence in Sodom, the story later in the overthrow of Sodom tells us that his wife's heart has been tied up in the lifestyle and the things in the city of Sodom. So that when God rains judgment down on that city, even though she can get out with the rest of her family and the angels, she doesn't. So Lot's choice from this day, this initial choice, it means the loss of his wife as well. And Lot's story is certainly, in my view, one of the most tragic in all of the Bible. Here's this guy, he's, he's Abram's junior partner. The guy God chose on all the earth He gets to live next to him. And he gets to enjoy the blessings God pours out on Abram. And yet, how does his life end up? From this point on, it's all down the wrong road. It's all downhill. And in chapter 19, that's the end of of Lot's story, he's not living in a tent. He's not living in a city. He's living in a cave. He has no wife. And he fathers two illegitimate sons through his daughters while he's in a drunken state living in this cave in the hill. And that's the end of his story. So if you could go to Lot at the end of his journey and say, Lot, what was your first mistake? Where did it all go wrong? I think he'd point back to this day and this choice at this parting of the ways, this singular choice he had to make that sounded pretty innocuous. And yet it proved the ruin of him and his family. It's a good thing to ask yourself on the road of life you're traveling today, where does it go? You know, in the poem, he's looking down as far as he can. Looking down, where does that go? Where does this choice I make, where does it take me? Where does it lead? What does the path look like a little further down the road? Where does the path and the road you and I are on today, where is it going? Where does it take us? Let me offer a few lessons I get from this Lot's choice. Just a few. You might come up with some others. 
The first would be Matthew 6.33. It's to put God and his things first. If you put God and his things first, he says he's responsible for you and your life. In saying this, please don't misunderstand me. We said last week, sometimes there are famines in your life, and God causes and allows those. So when I say put God and his things first and he'll take care of the rest, that doesn't mean that everything God gives you is going to be what you want. It doesn't mean you're going to get out of life everything you would have chosen otherwise. But it does mean God puts himself on the hook, as it were, to be responsible for you and your needs. It would be okay for me to have the master and creator of the universe say he's going to be responsible for my needs. I think I could live with that. And if we start with that, we can be like Abram at his best. We can trust God for the choices we make in life and the things we need to do and the needs we have to be taken care of. We can trust him for those. So the first would be this mindset that says, Lord, I'm not going to put my stuff first. I'm not going to put my self-interest first. I'm going to put you and your things first, and I'm going to trust you for the outcomes in my life. You're big enough to do that and take care. A second thing is this, and I think when we make choices, we don't often think about this, but you see this in Abram, seek peace and be unselfish. Most of us, most of the time, are saying, what's in it for me? And and there is a certain sense, biblically and spiritually, in which it's certainly appropriate to say, we have appropriate self-interest. We we have bills to pay, and we we have families to take care of. This doesn't mean that we're wearing rose-colored glasses and that we don't recognize that these things exist. But seek peace and be unselfish. This is biblically wise, and it avoids all kinds of strife in your life, and it blesses others. If you and I, when we're making choices, say, Lord, we want to be a blessing to others as we do, and we want to bring peace with us, we avoid all kinds of trouble. We avoid lots of choices that otherwise are going to compromise us or bring stress into our life that we'd rather not have. And life is filled with enough stress on the front end of things. We don't have to ask for more. So when we're making choices, jobs, family matters, whatever, Make part of your goal to be at peace with those around you and to be a blessing to others in that choice you're making. That's appropriate and sound. Another one along this line is to avoid the ungodly. You know, when you talk about the language of Scripture in today's culture in which everyone and everything's okay, uh, you can step in it pretty quickly. God God says they were sinners wickedly against the Lord. God says we're wicked. We're evil. We can be wicked. We can be evil. And part of Lot's problem is that he ends up hanging out in Sodom. And the text is clear. These are the worst people you could possibly hang out with. And that's where he goes. And if you read your Bible, places like Proverbs especially, guys, the Scripture is full of warnings about who you hang out with, who you make your friends. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, you know, that your friends make you. We talk about choices we make, make us. It says bad company corrupts good morals. When you're making decisions, and this is sometimes out of our span of control, but when you're making choices on the road you're going to travel, to the degree that it's possible to do so, don't put yourself under the influence of people you don't want to become like. The chances are pretty good that if you go with the people God says are wicked, you're going to become like them. When our girls were small in school and they were developing new friendships, we'd say, well, where where are they at? Your new friend, how are they? You know, what? 
They're great, Dad. And we would tell them at the end of the day, who's becoming like who? Who's changing who? Christians rightly have an evangelistic mindset oftentimes about, I'm going to send my kids to the school. I'm going to live in this neighborhood because I want to be a witness for Christ. That's great. But at the end of the day, you ask yourself, who are your kids becoming like and who are you becoming like? And you've got to be so careful about who you're choosing to hook up with, who you're living with, who is influencing your life. When you read the Gospels in Jesus' life on the earth in his ministry, he's hanging out with the sinners, isn't he? He's hanging out with the folks in Sodom. But he's clear when he does so that he's there like a doctor to patients. They're not changing him. He's bringing a message of redemption to them. But you've got to ask yourself, in the choices you're making, are you going to end up with people that God doesn't want you to be with? Because the influence isn't going to be you bringing them up. It's going to be them bringing you down. You've got to be very careful about the influence others have on you. So be careful. Another one is this. And I think this is where I hang my hat this morning. Of all the decisions, all the reasons why Lot made a decision, I think he missed the, the greatest motivation that he could have had and the thing that would have saved him from all the trouble. And it's this. When you're making your choices, stay where God is. Stay where God is. Think of this. In Abram's day, God has saved Abram out of a pagan culture in a pagan world. And he said, you're my man. So God's influence and God's presence on the earth is where? It's with Abram. And if you're Lot and you say, I want... Abram's God and Abram's blessing, where would you choose to live? You choose to live with Abram. Now, in this story, we've got the thing where he says, well, we've got so much stuff that we can't live together a lot, so you choose one way and I'll choose the other. And that's the story. And that's the choice that's presented. But you know, there was another choice, unsaid, unspoken in the story. Lot could have said, he could have said, Uncle Abram, I don't want the stuff. I want to live with you. He could have said, "Uh, I've got plenty of servants. I'll appoint one of my servants a steward and I'll ship them wherever you want me to, but I'm hanging out with you. Do you see? That if God and the blessing of God was Abram's key motivation in life, Abram would have lost the stuff. And guess what he would have gained? He would have gained blessing for the rest of his life for himself And for all his family. If he'd said, God is what I'm after. God on the earth was with Abram. So if God is what you want, you stay where God's at. Lot should have chosen Abram and lost the stuff. Now I know that's not presented as an option in this story. But let me briefly relay two other stories in the Bible to you. Elijah and Elisha. I love these. I love Elisha. They're both great. But Elisha in this story. Elisha is Elijah's uh, junior partner. Elisha lives in Elijah's shadow, doesn't he? And he's his helper. But come a day, there's a fork in the road. And Elisha knows, and everybody else knows too, I'm not sure how, but they know that God is going to take Elijah that day off the earth, up to heaven. Everybody knows it. And Elijah says to Elisha, hey, you stay here. I'm going to go down to this other place and take care of business. And Elisha says, no way. I'm sticking with you. And he goes down. 
And Elijah says again, hey, I'm going to go down to this other place. You stay here and take care of business. Elijah says, no way. I'm sticking with you. Do you know why he stuck with Elijah? Because he wanted the blessing. He wanted God's blessing. This is not selfish. If you want God and God's blessing, this is a good thing. So sure enough, he tells Elijah, I want a double portion of your spirit. The blessing you got from God, your relationship with God, that's what I want. Nothing short of that. God takes Elijah up. And because Elisha is with him, what does Elisha get? He gets the blessing. And the double portion, if you read the stories, you'll see that Elisha, uh, double the number of, of miracles are recorded of Elisha than Elijah. He got what he asked for. He got what he wanted because he was unwilling to leave Elijah when Elijah told him to leave. He wasn't presented with a choice, but Elisha says, no way, I'm not leaving you. If you go to the story of Ruth, you see the same thing. By the way, isn't this interesting? Ruth, a Moabite, a descendant of Lot, living in the east, marries a poor Jewish boy who leaves the land of promise in a famine and a drought. And the Jewish boy, he sort of suffers judgment because he dies in the land he didn't belong in. And Naomi, the poor Jewish boy's mother, is going to go back where? To the place she should have stayed in the first place during the drought and the famine. And one of her daughters-in-law, because both of her sons died and her husband, one of her daughters-in-law listens to her charge when Naomi says, go back, go back. And she does. And what is she going back to? Naomi says, go back to your people and your gods. That's what she says. And that's what she does. But what does Ruth say? No way. Ruth's not presented with an option. Naomi says, leave. And Ruth says, no way. Where you go, I'm going to go. And your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And I just think if Lot had had a clue on this day, when he's faced with a choice and paths go in two different directions, Lot could have said the same thing. He could have said, I'll lose the stuff. He loses the stuff anyway. He tried to hold on to all of it. He lost it all. But if Lot had said, Uncle Abe, no way am I leaving. Because I know that you're God's chosen man. And I know that if I want to know God, I got to hang out with you. So when you're making your choices in life, ask yourself this. Where is God in this thing? And how do I stay close to God? Because that's the bottom line. All the stuff we get in this world, all the good things we get to enjoy, what happens at the end of the day? It's all toast. It's all burned up. The only thing that lasts on this earth is our relationship with Christ and each other. So if Lot had had Ruth's attitude and Elisha's attitude, Lot would have come out smelling like a rose. Because he would have said, Uncle, I'll lose the stuff so that I can stay with you. I know it's valuable on this earth. And it's God, and it's a relationship with Him, and it's His blessing. It's not the stuff. I'll be glad to stay a junior partner, because being a junior partner means I get to hang out with you, the man God has chosen, and I get to share the blessing God's promised to pour out on you. I love this. It's simple. You read the story, it's like, well, what's going on? Why did it turn out so badly? But you get back to the issue of motivation, and and what's at the heart of things? 
Lot's choosing for himself. Abram's responding to God's call. If Lot wants promise and blessing, where does he go? He stays with Uncle Abram. If he wants the stuff, he leaves. But holding on to stuff doesn't always work. If you're not sure that you know Christ, if you're not sure you're a Christian, all the stuff you can get in life, it's all, it's all toast in history. It's all going to go. You're going to lose it all. And you really got to say, at the end of the day, where's my road taking me? Jesus says that in his presence there's life and there's joy and there's pleasure forevermore. And if you want to be in the place where there's blessing, Jesus Christ is the one who has it. And he doesn't have a little of it. He has a lot of it. And he's not stingy. He pours it out. And if you don't experience in this life, here and now, oh well, you get to enjoy it forever. For eternity. And if you're a Christian like Abram, you can afford to be generous. You don't have to try and hold on to stuff as if it all depends on you. You can say, Lord, I want to put you and your things first. I want to make choices and I want to travel roads that have you and your interest as their motivation. And Lord, in all this getting, I want to make sure that whatever else I get or lose, I get this. I get more of you. I'll say, no, I'll turn loose. I'll lose the rest of the stuff if it means laying hold of you, that I get more of you. Christ is life. Everything else is trinkets. Jesus gives eternal life, and he pours it into us now. And when we make choices like Lot, we're small-minded people. We've, we're looking up with our eyes, and our eyes can only see so far down the road. We don't get it. Make choices like Abram. Make choices like Elisha and Ruth. I want God. I want a relationship with him. I want God's blessing. That's the deal. Father, I'm just struck. Um, In all your goodness, you've created so many good things for us to enjoy that so often we mistake the trinkets and the good things for you. Lord, we make too much of the blessings you've given us and too little of you, the one who gave them. Father, I pray that you'd help open our eyes to the value we have in knowing you. Lord, I think of uh, Jesus' words in John 17 that this is eternal life. Qualitatively, Lord, life is to know you, to know your Son, the Lord Jesus. And that, Lord, for those who know you, there's a river of life, and there's a tree, and there's orchards, and there's eternity in your presence, enjoying all your goodness and your blessing forever with all of those who are calling on your name. God, help us to avoid the choice of Lot and the effects of those choice. Help us to live and walk by faith with Abram. In Jesus' name, amen.